ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We're back with a bit more regular scheduled programming. We've got two games coming up. The Tillies are back on home soil against Brazil. It's all very exciting stuff. So consider this a quickfire preview to the two game series against Brazil coming up. We know that this is probably, you're probably listening to this on the day of the game, but it'll be quick. So it'll be fine. You can fit it in and it'll be great. So today it's me, Marissa Lodanik, Angela Christian Milk, Sam Lewis, and Anna Harrington. And we're just going to start with some you love to see it. So Let's crack into them. Sam, do you want to kick us off with a you love to see it? My you love to see it this week is basically the premise of this podcast, which is the Matildas are home. They're back on home soil after 579 days. They are going to be playing a home game. I am so excited. I think like lockdown has sort of made things a little bit weird where it, we maybe we are starting to appreciate actually how good it is to have live sport happening again. And it sort of starts to feel like now, especially with lockdowns lifting, that sport and being able to attend sport in person is like one of the big milestones that makes us feel like we're getting back to the way that things used to be. So I that's I mean, it's a very general one, uh, but like the Matilda's back on after almost two years on home soil, being able to play in front of crowds, uh, 75% crowds out at Combank Stadium in Parramatta. It's going to be so much fun. You love to see it. We absolutely do love to see it. Harrow, what do you love to see? My love to see it is very much in the same vein as Sam's, but specifically Tony Gustafson, the coach. It's his first time coaching on home soil. It's his first time arriving in Australia. Like for the like, it's his first time here. How exciting! Like, and uh, Matilda's actually like tried to gauge his reaction, and it's a great little thing on their Instagram. I recommend having a look. He does the double fist pump. And this is, yes, he's so excited, you know, to be on the green grass, National Stadium in Sydney, uh, and what he's going to, he imagines the fans in the stadium and the upcoming game. He's pumped, as you can see. I'm so excited. Just imagine how excited he'll be when he can finally get down to Melbourne, guys. So Had to get that in there, didn't you? <laughs> this is my, you love to see it, Sam. Let me live. Uh, but Tony Gustafson just getting so pumped and excited he's talked about it for so long finally getting to be here in Australia coach on home soil you love to see it we absolutely love to see his joy and Angela I love uh I love to see you but what do you love to see oh thank you for us um okay so you love to see well I personally love to see the Matildas the ads during the bachelorette because I don't know, I just feel like that's real cute. And I, I've been watching The Bachelorette for the first time ever this season because it's, the, you know, a watershed moment. There's a, a bisexual First Nations um, woman as The Bachelorette. And I don't know, I just think it's real cute that there's a, that was on the coverage that the Matildas were advertised. I don't know. And that sort of um, re- reminded me, it's like, oh, we've got this brand new spanking broadcast deal on free to air on a on a network that is people are watching I don't know that that's what I love to see so um and yeah I'm, I'm keen to sort of see how this just the the new broadcast deal unfolds as we, we keep going on anyway you love to see it we do love to see it I know a couple of times I've had it on like one of the the channel 10 channels and all of a sudden it will be like Matilda's playing Brazil and I'm like oh my god other people know about that that's so exciting um but that's not the point that's exactly the vibe so 
we've got two games coming up October 23rd and October 26th. We are playing Brazil. We love playing Brazil. It's always a good time. It's always a fun time. So it's really exciting. We've also got a new squad. We've got some new faces. We've got some really interesting inclusions in terms of new players, returning players, things of that nature. So let's talk about the squad a little bit, who we're excited to see, what the kind of vibe is. Sam, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, so it's a it's a pretty largely similar squad to the Ireland friendlies and to the Olympics, but one player that I am really excited for, we might not get to see her on the park, but Briley Henry. She, I've known about Briley Henry for a couple of years now. She was part of the Junior Matildas and the Young Matildas squad as well. She's been part of the W League. She had a debut season with the Wanderers uh, last season as well. She's a young, fit, quick striker who I think has been on the radars of people at youth level for quite a long time. And it's great that she's now being given an opportunity to come into camp alongside other young players like Jamila Rankin, Remy Seamson, um, and Carly Rosbacken is returning as well, which Angela might be able to talk to. And to be able to really experience this, this camp, this culture, this environment, you know, it's a, it's a big step up from what a lot of these players are used to. But the fact that they are now being given that chance, I think that's something that we need to sort of constantly reiterate with Tony Gustafson is that he has this long-term project of building towards the future. So bringing in young players like Briley, like Jamila, this is, you know, they, they might not, they might get five, 10 minutes maybe just to give them a go, but ultimately they're part of a longer-term plan heading towards 2023. So yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited for them. It's going to be an amazing experience. I'm excited to see some of the big names come back, Sam. I'm on the complete other end of the scale there. Uh, I think the Republic of Ireland game showed how much we miss the likes of Emily Van Egmond, Kai Simon, Ellie Carpenter, and Caitlin Ford. I'm really excited, really, really excited to see Caitlin Ford, who's hit a little bit of form with Arsenal lately. We know she had that bit of a niggling injury and she even missed a game at the Olympics um, and sort of didn't really hit her straps until the the bronze the bronze medal playoff match, I'd, I'd argue. Um, so I think it'll be really exciting to see her back in, obviously missing um, Hayley Razo and Emily Gilnick through injuries. So I think it's really important to get some extra competition back in that front third again. Um, whether we see Ford, Kerr and Fowler all play together, that's something that really excites me. Um, and I think it will just straighten things up a little bit in terms of structurally having some players that are really confident in their positions back again. I'll be really intrigued to see how Ellie Carpenter's deployed. Um, we've seen a fair bit of faith putting Courtney Nevin on the, on the left-hand side. Do we see maybe Nevin used as that third central defender as we saw against the Republic of Ireland. Um, and alongside maybe Kennedy and Polkinghorne, we see Carpenter and Catley on those two flanks as wingbacks. That'd be something that I'd really love to see. I don't know if we will. But I just love games against Brazil, to be honest. They're just fun. Like, usually they're so high stakes. Um, I was talking to Mika Yelv about this, and she did say they, that they do get up more for these games. They love playing Brazil. So often, as I said, it's high stakes. It's um, We know the miracle of Montpellier. We were all there for it. Um, the 2015 World Cup, like, is just another one. We had the Olympics in 2016 as well. Like, so many big moments. It's always fun playing Brazil. Um, the first time we sort of had big crowds um, for the Matildas was when we were playing Brazil. It's, yeah, it, it's just... It feels like the right opponent to have for this return. It's someone that I think fans always get out to see. The players get up for these games. And 
I've totally gone off track about the squad, but so many of these players have played a lot against Brazil is where I'm going as well. Caitlin Ford scored in the miracle of Montpellier. We know what Sam Kerr has done. And yeah, we know what Kai Simon's done as well. So it's really exciting to have so many big names back. It's a, it's a sort of grandstand return, which is really exciting. Yeah, I love that you touched on that, Harry, because, yeah, Brazil always, well, I, I was about to be like, it's always a good time, but it's it's not always a good time, but it's always an interesting time. So that, that will be exciting. And I've, I've sort of been in my own dreamland and I've just suddenly hit me that the game is tomorrow and that, yeah, we've got a whole last other team, Brazil. It, it, wow. Anyway, I'm obviously adding a lot of insightful analysis to this pod, but I think the vibes are that we're just excited. So hopefully that, that can be something. Um, yeah. And yeah, just speaking to what you said, Sam, I am so keen for Carly. Um, obviously she's just come back from injury. So that's probably still being managed, but I, yeah, I'm just fingers crossed that she'll get some minutes there. I think she's really going to be our, you know, future center back in the next gen um so great to see her in the fold and I don't know I I'm also interested to see if Mac is going to get a game because she's been absolutely passionate at West Ham and I think that it would be great to see that translate into playing um into the national team so yeah anyway that's that's kind of my sort of instinctive reactions like I said I I have not been paying attention, but I have been riding the vibes. So can I continue to ride the vibes all the way back to sort of what Harrow was saying earlier, which is just about this rivalry. Like Matildas versus Brazil is one of the most exciting rivalries, I think, in international women's football. Like it goes all the way back to technically 1988, where we played them and won against them in the Women's Invitational Tournament. Uh, but, you know, Sydney 2000, that was the first sort of major tournament where we met Brazil and they beat us. And there's been this tossing and turning and, and toing and froing between the two sides over the last 20 so years. It's always an interesting game. You never quite know where it's going to go. And that 2017 period, I remember, like that was a really incredible and memorable and formative moment, not just for the Matildas, but I think for all of us as well. Because I remember, Angela and Marissa, you flew up to Sydney for those two games, right? I, I was there. I worked, at the, I worked at the game. I remember writing about um, the guy who had his uh, Lucas Neal jersey and yeah. crossed it out and made it S-curve. Right. And then and we were Sammy there. actually gave him a jersey after. And, yeah, it was incredible. Yeah, exactly. Like the, the, the Brazil holds a very special place in our hearts, I think, as a friendship group, as well as, you know, as a women's football podcast and as part of this women's football community as well. So, and this Brazil squad, they're actually pretty good too. Like that 2017 period, they were sort of slumping as we were on the rise, but I feel like there's a little bit more of an equilibrium between the two teams at the moment. They've got some of the most exciting players in women's football at the moment, I think. Obviously they have Marta, who is sensational, um, but they have like a bunch of other young players who are starting to emerge through the ranks as well, which is super exciting. So I'm really keen to see actually how we balance out, especially compared to the performance in 2019 at the Miracle of Montpellier. I think it's a really good point that we kind of big up this rivalry and I think it's important that it's also, it's not just us being like, oh, we like playing against Brazil because we beat them all the time kind of thing. Like it is a genuine rivalry and the fact that we lost to them in Rio kind of adds to that because you can't have a one-sided rivalry. And I think I love 
writing about it. I love talking about it. It's just, it's, it's such a fascinating thing. And I know that other people from around the world also look forward to Australia, Brazil games, because they know that they're going to get something bloody fun to watch. So I'm very excited that neutral fans are going to get to enjoy this. I'm excited for the Sydney crowds that are going to get to enjoy this and everyone uh, at home who's going to be able to watch this. I wanted to quickly jump back to Carly Rossback and there was a lot of angst during the Olympics about defenders for the Matildas. And it was almost like we all kind of collectively forgot Carly Ross back and it was a big out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. But I do think she is an answer to the questions that we had during the Olympics. So it's really, really exciting. Obviously for her, she made her return, I think it was about six months out with injury. She returned for her club in Norway. So that was super exciting. It's great for her and it's great for us that we kind of have an answer to that question we were asking I just wanted to steal like a previous opinion of yours, Marissa, in the sense that this rivalry as well, I think women's football, or rather Marissa, I, I think you've tweeted about this before, in the sense that rivalries in women's football have sometimes felt a little bit artificial or forced, but like this, the Australia-Brazil one is such, uh, it has all that background and has all that organic and, and sort of natural attachment and emotion and I think it's a really special thing in the context of that because yeah it's it's not just you know copy and paste with whatever people are feeling in terms of men's national teams or men's clubs or whatever it might be it's actually something that's formed um out of its own sort of context and circumstances which is really neat anyway no it's so true like I remember when um we had clubs sorry when we had Matilda signed for like Arsenal and Spurs and Obviously, Sam Kerr at Chelsea, there'd be questions like, oh, so you're playing for Arsenal. How can you to get stuck into Tottenham? And um, for a lot of these players, it's like these rivalries haven't been built in the same way that they have in the men's game, like where you've got this genuine dislike or even hatred between clubs. And they tend to form their own rivalries. Like you'll have, say, Chelsea and Man City in the women's game and Arsenal in there too. And I think Chelsea-Arsenal tends to be really big in the FAWSL, for example. And I know that it's a rivalry in the men's, but it's not quite so vicious I guess it's um and that is the really exciting thing it's a cross-confederation rivalry as well it's not just like we play these guys in qualifying all the time so we want to be like when we play Japan for example it's one that just through sheer bizarre luck unless you're a um heating the (laughs) the draw ball up conspiracy theorist that we end up playing Brazil in so many big games like we get drawn in into groups with them we end up playing them in knockout games and um I love continuing on that by by playing them in in these friendlies which I think are actually in the wider context of the Matildas are really important um as well in terms of hitting some form getting some wins on the board we are coming off three losses on the bounce when you look at the semi-final loss to Sweden, the subsequent loss to the US, and then um, obviously the friendly loss to the Republic of Ireland. Like this team could really use a win, <laughs> like could preferably two in a row against a good opposition, as we've mentioned, a rival, a team that we enjoy playing, a team that will test us, um, but isn't necessarily at the level of some of the really, really ominous teams we came up against like the Netherlands and Germany in those early friendlies should be really competitive. You know, both teams have attacking weapons and are probably arguably a bit susceptible at the back. So they're exciting games. It'll be really intriguing to see the effect of a home crowd. Um, it's something the Matildas haven't had under Tony Gustafson. So Sam, we're relying on your friends up there in Sydney to do a bit. Um, I know it doesn't come naturally uh, to, to be loud at sporting events up there. So, no, it. It, it, it's a really, uh, it, it is a really interesting couple of games. It's 
Uh, it's it's not like it's make or break or anything, but I think it's an important moment. First home games, you want to get that first win on home soil if, you, if you're Tony. You want to make an impact. I think the pride was a little bit stung for all the players. That's the impression you get after that Republic of Ireland loss where just everything went went wrong. <laughs> everything that could go wrong went wrong even. And, yeah, Sam, it does feel like this is a really important moment, albeit in a friendly setting. Yeah, absolutely. It's not just an important moment for the team, but it's a really important moment for Tony, I think. This is going to be, as you mentioned, this is his first opportunity on home soil. And you only get one chance to make a first impression. And this is going to be his moment. So it's not just going to be in terms of his relationship with the media after games or anything, but even just watching the way that he behaves on the sideline. You know, things that you don't necessarily see or overhear in a broadcast setting, watching the way that he reacts to certain moments on the field, watching the way that he celebrates goals, watching the way that he organises his team in certain stressful moments. Like, I think all of that plays a role in how a fan community understand a head coach and the kind of respect that they can give someone in that kind of role. Um, and speaking of head coaches, there's also sort of a quite a nice rivalry between the two head coaches in this scenario as well. Tony Gustafsson was, uh, I guess, the the apprentice under Pia Sundhag uh, over the course of you know a good chunk of his career. Um, in the 2012 uh, London Olympics, for example, Pia and Tony were at the US Women's National Team when they won the gold medal. So it's a bit of a master versus apprentice um, relationship there. And we've spoken about PR on the podcast before, but her relationship with the Brazil team just seems so wholesome and so lovely. She plays guitar for them. She sings songs in their language. She like, she, she really seems to understand and appreciate the cultural differences of the Brazil national team compared to other kinds of nations that she's coached. And it's just going to be a really lovely moment to like to see her and Tony see each other again you know like they have such a a long history together and he's learned a lot from her and I'm sure that she's going to start to learn a lot from him now that he's coming to his first head coach role as well it does give real like you're the most wholesome you're the most wholesome (laughs) sort of vibes if Tony is our dad then Pia is our mum that's all I'm saying (laughs) I feel like I would be a disappointing child in that in that family but anyway I don't look Swedish enough just putting that out there. Do they get together for a musical duet? Like, I hope so. Tony can teach Pia the nutbush now that he's yeah. <laughs> But I suppose, yeah, in terms of these games, you kind of alluded to it, Harrow, the fact that barring kind of the historic run at Tokyo, the results really haven't been forthcoming. And the the thinking and the reasoning has been that we're kind of preparing for something bigger in the future. So the friendlies are friendlies. And, yes, we'd like to win, but there's a bigger purpose. Now that we've got the Asian Cup basically around the corner, I suppose do we still feel like, you know, it's okay, we're still working on something bigger? Or is that there is almost an element of, but I would really, really like a win as well. Like how do we continue to balance the the preparation thing versus the I want immediate results? Like I would like a win, please. So I've thrown this one at you off the cuff. But, yeah, Sam? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that they, they still want to win. 
Now they're still athletes and Gustafsson even said in, you know, in the wake of a lot of the friendly losses that had that he was disappointed, but it's important to keep it in context as well. Like it's, we shouldn't be too heavy on the, oh my God, we're losing all the time to really good nations type of narrative, because that's not the only narrative that's being run here. You know, there is this other context. There is this longer project that he's working on. Ideally, I would really love to see us turn because Gustafson sort of uses these phrases preparation mode and tournament mode and we saw I think tournament mode during the Olympics and I'd really like to see tournament mode at the Asian Cup as well even though technically we don't have to do very well because it just acts as a qualifying pathway for the World Cup I would really like to see us have a really good go at that because if we're able to win the Asian Cup again you know that would be a fabulous way of moving into the following year it would be a really big statement from tony and from the players and it would be a really good sort of halfway point assessment of this project that tony has been undertaking as well because these younger players that i mentioned before we're going to sort of going to uh, the more that they're included in camps like this the more they're, they're going to start to have some serious opportunities to make an impact in this matilda's team over the course of a tournament competition and a tournament format, which is very different compared to a two, uh, like a two games friendly series, you know? Um, so, yeah, so I, I think it, we all, we always want the Matildas to win. The Matildas always want the Matildas to win. They're always devastated when they don't, because they know that alongside being professional athletes where winning is your job, they also, I think, particularly at the moment, feel like they have a, a bit of a larger responsibility um, to represent themselves well and to, you know, be role models and to perform admirably um, at their at their jobs, um, regardless of the result, I feel like. If they play well, I mean, maybe this is just me in terms of sport, but if you play well and you lose, that's okay. You were just beaten by a better team on the day or maybe there was a slip up here or there or whatever. If you play well and you lose, that's okay. If you play badly and you, lo- and you lose, then that's not okay. But I don't feel like the latter is going to happen. I think it's also a case of like, yes, um, we would love to win, but I feel like it, feeling like you've earned that win as well in a lot of ways. And I know that you've sort of... Um, <laughs> in the past and pointed to the US in terms of, you know, they, they, they do win a lot, but um, sometimes maybe they're not testing themselves. And that's, you know, obviously been a big, huge part of the conversation in the friendlies that Tony has um, overseen and the, the quality of the opposition. So I think just as with that Island game, it was, it felt worse because it felt like we shouldn't have lost. I think a win on the other side, if it's, a good win and it's pointing to all those things coming together that's going to feel extra good rather than just being beating up on a team that we would normally beat. you know so sorry us women's national team but you'll be fine they'll be right they can console themselves with their various medals i'm sure um it's it's a good point angela like the vibe that I think Sam and I got, we were the only two on Tony's post-match presser after the Republic of Ireland loss. Was it, it felt like a bit of a disaster class for the Matildas that game. Like it all went wrong. He wasn't happy with the effort, wasn't happy with the execution, was lamenting like out of character, didn't play the way that they want to play in terms of, I guess, their own character and intent. Like it was just everything was bad bar a couple of goals let's be honest one took a heavy deflection the other was really a goalkeeper error like it was bad (laughs) like you couldn't look at that any other way I think this team really needs a win like 
I, I agree with you, Sam, that, you know, there's good losses and, and good draws. And if you play well and you get beaten by a better team on the day, that's, that's the thing that you can take internally. And that's the thing that you can, you can look to build on and be really encouraged by, but I think they really need a win on home soil, especially like, as you say, Sam, you only get one chance to make a first impression. You get a, get a win in this game. And I think that really, really does help the team in terms of confidence. Cause as much as these players are looking at the bigger picture, they're intensely competitive people. They want to win. They want to be winning. Tony wants to win. Like everyone who supports the Matildas wants that. Like Aussies, notoriously competitive. <laughs> like I think they they could really use that. Obviously, we want to see a great game. We want to see um, some really good football. Um, but if it ends up being a scrappy tap-in that gets a win, I think a lot of people will still be happy with that, to be honest, over maybe a more, couple more beautiful goals but suffer a loss. It is a results-based industry as well, even though this is a friendly. And as you say, Sam, it's about what we see getting built. I think you, I think winning is what all these players all want. The, the other thing I liked you talking about, Sam, was um, embedding more young players into the group. We saw, say, Angie Beard come on and she was the debutante that actually I thought really impressed when she came on against Republic of Ireland. Claire Wheeler didn't really get into the game. That's hard and that can be hard in a midfield role. Charlie Grant... Um, virtually unsighted, but Beard, Tony was really happy with, so she was brave, um, both on and off the ball, clearly made an impression, and along with those other two debutantes, is back again. I think that's the important thing is the impression I get is players are going to have to earn these chances. They're going to get thrown in for debuts and they're going to get chances off the bench, but if they want to get a starting spot like Karakuna Cross has done, they have to earn it. I don't think they're going to be just gifting lots of game time or starts to players because... Yeah, likes of Emily Van Egmond, Caitlin Ford, Kaisa, they all want to start. They all want to be there for these big tournaments. So I think creating a really, really competitive environment. And as we've talked about, building more depth is the key. So hopefully we see Carly Ross back, and I don't know if that will just be off the bench or in stints, and hopefully we see more of Courtney Nevin. But you get the sense that if players are getting a lot of game time in these couple of games, they'll have really earned it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I... I think sort of throwing back to what you said, Hara, about needing a win. I think maybe my comments earlier were sort of framed in the context of the Ireland performance because it was bad. You know, like I think we can all sort of unequivocally bad, agree bad, that bad. It, was, it was real <laughs> bad. And so I guess what I'd like to see is a response from that. I'd like to see a good performance, the kind of performance that we know the Matildas are capable of. And now that they're back at home in front of home crowds, They've got a point to prove, not just in terms of on-field play, but also stuff off the field as well. I'd really like to see a, a, a really good performance. And, you know, in an ideal football world, a really good performance leads to a win as well. So we can have both of those things at the same time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in terms of earning your spot, absolutely. And it's a testament to the players who've been recalled for this series that, they're, they've obviously put in the work. You know, a player like Remy Sampson, for example, went and trained in Europe and stayed in Europe rather than coming home um, in preparation for this. And so she's been flown over from there as a result. And, you know, other, other players as, as well have sort of linked up with 
different clubs over in, in the UK and, and other, other places in Europe in order to maintain that high intensity training environment that they receive at the Matildas, which is great, which shows that they have the ambition, they have the intent to get better. They are listening to what Tony is telling them, which is play at the highest possible level that you can, train in the best possible environments that you can. And they're going and doing that. They're not necessarily playing on the field for those clubs, but they're training with them. And there's a lot of benefit that comes from that. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm really, um, I'm excited to see how the group responds to the Ireland friendly. I'm excited to see the ways in which other kinds of players perhaps are going to be given opportunities as well, um, particularly in the second game. I think the first game needs to be the statement game and the second game can be more experimental. Um, and I'd really like to see, again, the return of a Ross Barkin. I'd love to see Angie Beard get more minutes. I'd love to see a couple of other fringe players really get thrown in and be told, like, excite me. I want you to prove yourself to me on this stage in front of these fans, in front of the people that you care about in order to show me that you want this. Because I think ultimately that's the point of a lot of these friendlies for these players. Yeah, I love that point, Sam. And I think it was a shrewd move by the coaching staff to get those players linked up with the likes of Fortuna Hearing because it doesn't make any sense to have them come and do hotel quarantine again. Like, and I don't know how much say the players actually had. I reckon they might have got told, we're going to send you off here because your alternative is sitting in a hotel in Sydney for two weeks, losing yeah. all your match fitness and probably not getting picked. Like, exactly. yeah. It's a smart decision. It's much like with the Socceroos we saw um, Ryan Grant go and train with Hibs in Scotland um, with Martin Boyle because otherwise he'd have just been back and forthing. And thankfully, I think we'll come November 1, we know this isn't going to be such an issue anymore because fully vaxxed arrivals from coming from overseas will be able to just enter Sydney and Melbourne without quarantining which will be such a relief for most of the Matildas um, and it is probably worth, worth worth touching on how tight these biosecurity protocols are and given FIFA windows a lot of these players I'd imagine you Caitlin Ford, Steph Catley, um, Sam Kerr even, I know she, her family's in WA but like all these Ellie Carpenter all these players that are going to have to get back to their clubs may not actually be able to even give their family a hug because they're going to be in these tight biosecurity bubbles. You can see them up in the stands from behind that net thing that they got going on. But it's, it's a difficult situation. Um, and that I think that, seeing how they handled that, they, I know they had really tight protocols at the Olympics, so I think that'll hold them in good stead. And also, as you mentioned, Sam, the, these games are, are coming in the wake of Lisa Devanna's allegations, which we've done a very big pod on. You can hear the detail of that. But it will be interesting to see how the players respond after a couple of big weeks of scrutiny on them and if they come out firing or if they come out a bit sluggish, I'm sure it will get analysed if the latter happens. Um, but, yeah, it's it's been a couple of big weeks and it's I imagine it's tough being in these biosecurity things. Just I'm not adding anything new here, just bouncing off what you said, Sam, about players, I guess, putting in the work and making those moves. I think shout out to Emma Checker. It's really great to see her name there and she did feature in the friendlies with Netherlands and, and Germany but um, obviously she's back in the fold and must have made an impression on Tony and, and that's fantastic to see because she's clearly been working really hard on, on the stuff that she's been doing at club level as well um, and I don't know it's banging on the old defensive depth drum but it's always good to see defenders coming back into the fold and, and Andrew Lurabee, we a really, really weird day when us on this pod aren't having a team selection day where we're not going, defenders, 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 defenders. <laughs> like, we'll have really made some big strides when we don't have to do that anymore. 
But oh. the, the focus is going to shift though, because we're going to have like a team that's just like three quarters defenders and then no midfielders. And then that's going to be the new drum that we start to beat. And actually we've sort of started to have this conversation we in did. terms of defensive midfielders, which is why I'm very, very pleased to see Claire Wheeler back in the fold because we don't Shocking. have a Kellan Knight. I know. Who does thunk it? Me excited well, Claire, Wheeler. Claire Wheeler? Gosh. Sam, has she been playing as a defensive midfielder in Junior Hearing? Because at Sydney FC, she very much played in a more attacking role further up the field rather than that that gritty um, holding up the play defensive role. I think she's been a bit more flexible being used in her club environment at Fortuna Huring um, because she is capable of doing both of those things. She's a fantastic number six. She's got the engine for it, but she also is very clever when she goes forward, which we saw in her recent season with Sydney FC. Um, And when she was sort of unleashed at that sort of number eight, more of a box-to-box midfield role. And Ante Juric, the head coach of the team, like he even said, this is one of the best seasons I've ever seen Claire Wheeler play because she has that freedom. And she is so smart as well. She sort of reminds me of Dylan Holmes, who's someone who I'm kind of sad not to see brought into this squad at the moment because I think she's an excellent player, but maybe she just needs more minutes and she just needs to continue to prove herself to Tony. Um, So, yeah, so I'm I'm super excited to see Claire um, because there's going to be question marks, I think, around what our midfield should look like now that we're starting to see more veteran players um, on on the outer. So we saw the retirement of Ivy Lewick after the Olympics. Elise Keller Knight looks like she's probably going to be out for a while with an ongoing injury. Who is the next player to step up if we want to play with a natural defensive midfielder? That's the question. Exactly. Well, Kari Cooney Cross seems to have been Tony's go-to lately, especially with we're not going to get into the Emily Van Egmond at six thing because it's been done. Um, but midfield-wise, I would also like to see at some point, Tamiki Ellett back into midfield. I think we miss her forward runs. I think it leaves Sam Kerr less isolated. I think she creates things. Um, not to say she's done badly at wing back, but as I mentioned before, ideally you're seeing our natural defenders play there and getting, I always think you're better off the more of your best players you have playing in their best roles. And I am not a coach, but <laughs> that's what I'd like to, that is what I'd like to see. And it, Sam, again, I think it goes back to what we were saying about these players putting their hands up. Clearly, Claire Wheeler has done that in camp and we've seen Kara Cooney-Cross do that beforehand and Mary Fowler in the past. It's exciting um, and it rejuvenates the team, I think. It's it's always good to have players on their toes um, and knowing that no spot is guaranteed, I think that makes everyone better. And hopefully... Um, if we get a few glimpses or even longer than glimpses of a few of these players um, and they impress, that can set some really good conversations about um, Matilda's depth and even what our best starting 11 is going forward. All righty, let's look to wrap things up. A very quick, very Victorian boot, Anna. Yeah, I do like to talk about Melbourne in case you haven't noticed. A very brief one is... Just the, I'm very happy for our good friends in Sydney, like the wonderful Sam, who will get to be at the game. Um, we come out of lockdown now here in Melbourne, which is fantastic. Unfortunately, even if we wanted to go to Sydney, we can't because we're locked out of there till November 1. They just uh, always need a good reason to boot New South Wales. So just a, a, little, a little boot for you, New South Wales. Um, but we're excited to hopefully um, come the next round of games in Australia or be together again. And watching the Tillies because that's what we love. It's it's our God-given right as Melburnians to pack a backpack and catch a 6am Jetstar flight to go see the Matildas. And it feels kind of strange to not be doing that, to be honest. And to do the same on the way back, no matter how little you've had, sleep you've had. Yeah. 
just ride in on vibes as it were. Those trips are always so fun. So I'm yeah, very keen to, yeah, away trips soon. Fingers crossed. Miss riding on vibes so much. Anyway, let's do some how goods to end things. Sam, a how good please. My how good I think is a little bit niche. Uh, I tweeted about it last week. Uh, There is a new bar that has opened up at a club in Sydney up in Manly Warringah, which is called the far post. It's a, it's a new uh, Sydney FC used to play some of their home games up at Cromer park. They're probably not going to be playing there much anymore because it's artificial turf, but they've opened up a, a new bar called the far post. And I would love if, and if anyone listening would love us to do this, please tell us if we could do some sort of live podcast from the far post, from the far post that I feel like that would be super fun. So that's, I mean, that's sort of my how good I just like that I I like that uh, like they didn't name it after us obviously but wouldn't it be great if they did and wouldn't it be great if we formed some sort of I don't know financial or beer sponsored partnership with the far post bar I would I would like that even like some cider for Sam beers for us like that'd be nice it'd be like Amy Parks at Amy Park the classic (laughs) the far post at the far post post. (laughs) how good I'm just imagining the side as like the, the bright pink of our logo. It's like no oh one's touching God. that. We can do what the Muir sisters do. We can produce our own far post brew. Oh, my God. So we're going to have, I, I tweeted about this. It's going to be ESPN's The Far Post Presents, dub at the pub, the live extravaganza from the far post bar. Oh, my God. And yes, apparently try we're to make have- that an acronym. <laughs> I'm not even going to try it. But imagine then we've got the far post beer to go with it. We we need to have meetings about these kinds of things that aren't on the actual pod recording. But, yes, a big how good to the far post bar. Andrew? Uh, I'll just quickly, just on that note, before we do any of that, I really need to send those totes out. If you've been waiting on a tote, they're in my room right now and I will do it as soon as I possibly can. I'm just really bad at time management. And it's been a busy year, but they're on their way, sort of. They're still in my room, but they will be on their way soon. I'm so sorry. I'm really bad about it. Anyway. They're coming. We thank you for your patience, friends. Anna, how good, please. You thought Sam's how good was niche. This is uh, my niche how good. Um, You always love those videos after players get their first cap. And there was a really sweet one on the Matilda's social media of Claire Wheeler Angie Beard and Charlie Grant getting their first caps from Steph Catley, who said a nice little thing about each of the players and presented them with the cap. If you haven't seen it, it's very similar to like a baggy green that um, Australian cricketers get when they play their first test, both male and female, and that's the cap that they usually tend to wear while they're playing. Anyway, Angie Beard, in true like cricket fan fashion apparently, gets her cap and is captured on video just doing a bit of shadow batting. (laughs) just working on our blocks and just playing a few shots. And uh, I loved it. It was just so wholesome. And I think it's just the nat- the natural, just such a natural reaction to getting given a cap that looks like a baggy green. Like it, that's basically clearly what it's, it's based off. And Angie Beard just going to town with it. Um, so yeah, Angie Beard really embracing the idea of getting a cap. How good. How good. Oh, friend Angela? of the pod, Angie Beard, sorry. Friend of the pod, Angie Beard. It's a very friend of the pod heavy squad, which we absolutely love to see. But Angela, how good? 
Yeah, my how good is perhaps a little bit dated. Some of you may have seen this on the socials already, but I'm just in complete admiration of Ellie Carpenter speaking français. She absolutely smashed it. There's some footage out there of her being interviewed after a Leon game. So it would have been when were domestic games last time, a little while ago. But um, yes, she's, uh, I think you spoke to her last year, Anna, about this. She was, you know, as soon as she got there, she was learning the language and three I just classes think, a week three classes three, a week Leon we're making it do and you know it's paid off I don't obviously I'm not in a position to say whether it was like gr- grammatically correct French or not but who cares it's fantastic anyway so Ellie Ellie Carpenter being bilingual fantastic good for her how good <laughs> I'm just so impressed and I think we can all attest that French is a very difficult language French is not easy to learn I'm, just, I'm having like flashbacks to us at French taco places where it's a lot of gestures and pointing and yes, taco, messy, and that's it. So very, it, very impressive. I, I learn, I'm learning Spanish and I reckon like 90% of every bit of French I ever learned has gone. Like it just goes. It's, bye. Bye, bye, Ciao, bye. Adios, as I would say in Spanish. <laughs> At least the Spanish is sticking. But, yeah, a final how good from me, if we are sticking with very niche kind of things, um, my niche is the 100 Club. And Alana Kennedy is set to hit her 100th cap for the Tillies, which is an amazing achievement. I think about how Alana and I are the same age and she's gone and made like 100 appearances for her country and I'm like, I'm going to talk about it on my podcast. (laughs) But it's so exciting. And I tweeted about this. It's really, really cool that, the 100 Club has really expanded in this last kind of year. We started the year with only seven women having played 100 games for Australia. We've already added three this year. Alana's most likely to be four, you know, sometime during this two-game series. And then there's a few other players in this squad that have uh, in the 90s. So it's amazing that these players have kind of come in at a time where there's that, you know, increase in professionalisation. There's so much game time for them to play and they're, they've been in the squad for so long that they're able to reach this absolutely incredible milestone that not a lot of people do get to hear. It's a very special thing. So assuming she gets on the pitch, which I think she will, it's a big how good to Alana Kennedy, Centurion. But um, that's it for us today. The games, we've got October 23 against Brazil in Parramatta if I think there might still be tickets available so if you are in Sydney and double vaxxed get around it um but yes so we've got October 23 which is tomorrow kickoff at 7 50 p.m Australian Eastern Daylight Time and then Tuesday night 8 5 p.m kickoff Australian Eastern Daylight Time so get around those if you aren't in Sydney remember they will be on channel 10 and I think one of them the Tuesday night one is on 10 bold but check your local listing so you can get around that but That's enough from us today. Remember, you can find us on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. We're on Spotify, Google, Apple, all the usual podcast places. Leave a review and subscribe if you like what we're doing. We're at the Far Post Pod on social media if you want to have a chat to us there. But, yeah, until next time, go Tillies and see yous.